Hello. Hello, Tim. Thanks for joining. Of course. I will be discussing topics that fire me up. And today's topic is how your office or business environment is like high school. And I am pleased to have Tim Getz, my best friend, and probably the smartest person I know. So, Tim, do you want to give everyone a little bit about yourself? Easy, easy. Uh, Like Gerard said, we're best friends. Known each other for pretty long now, several years back in college. So... 1989. Uh, got a lot of shared experiences going way back. And uh, yeah, kind of think along the same lines. So, Well, and I thought it would be good to have Tim on because we have actually been talking about this for 30 years. And this is our first opportunity to actually record it and uh, post it so other people can share with uh, things that we've discussed. I think Tim and I have a great uh, relationship and banter And when we've started talking about this, we kind of talked about high school and and the similarities between our experience there and our the business world experiences that we that we've uh, that we've shared. And so I thought this would be a great pairing to talk about it. Uh, If you want to talk a little bit about uh, your high school experience, Tim, and then I'll kind of jump into because I know you have a lot to share. Yeah, high school, all the the glory days, right? Um, Not so much for us, I don't think. Uh, I think maybe a lot of other people. Yeah, it's not as same. Would share the same uh, opinions of it, maybe. Uh, Just kind of how at the time you're thinking, wow, at least this will be over in four years, and then you graduate and you get started, you realize, well, it's really not over. So what are what are some of the things in high school that that you didn't that you didn't particularly enjoy? Uh, well, how, how much time do we have? Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Um, you know the clickishness, the us versus them mentality, the favoritism, the less than dedicated uh, adults that were supposed to be there. Yeah, that's a good one. Guiding. Uh, guiding the situation the process our future yeah the future um just things like that i think uh i think for me i went to a private school and uh, we were held in this high regard because i went to a college preparatory school and so we were seen as because we wore jackets and ties and so we were seen as uh, above society. And then when you go in there and you get into the school and you realize that you're going to class with a bunch of degenerates, uh, right. you realize right. that that's, that's a fallacy as well. And then you weren't treated a certain way because a lot of it had to do with giving money and funds to the church. And so that was seen as a, as a, a positive thing. And then again, even teachers told, uh, would, typically gravitate to the cool kids and if you weren't in that clique like you had mentioned then oh yeah you were seen uh, as an afterthought and a lot of the teachers not all but a lot of them you know were were that way and i i went like gerard you said you went to a catholic school i on the opposite i went to a large public school and oddly enough we had the same experiences exactly exactly so so one of the things that that you brought up and and we were going to, we're going to touch on in kind of a little bit more detail as the clicks, you know, the pettiness, the gop, gossip, and another big part is the shallowness and superficiality 
um, that right. not only not only is in high school, but it transcends into right. the workplace. And what what I'd like to do is kind of give what I consider a definition when I'm calling the high school principal, and that's uh, L-E, not A-L. And I find that as the inability for an organization to adhere to merit, objective, data-driven systems, which allows for superficialities to determine the culture. Uh, it appears in every business culture, everywhere I worked, I know you've experienced it as well. The worst organizations typically have the higher degree of it. Uh, I think it's yep. everywhere. It's just a question of how much, right? It doesn't matter what industry, what field, what company, it doesn't matter. You'll find it everywhere. And uh, like you said, the higher levels of dissatisfaction and <clears throat> low morale will be in those places where that high school principal kind of prevails. And so, you know, focusing, we, we kind of shared a little bit uh, of our high school experience, what, um, what I thought we would focus on you know, through the research and through kind of our main focus, especially solutions, is the challenges that business uh, is faced with, with having this kind of environment and some things that they can do to overcome it. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the, some of the data that, that I uncovered through research, some of the, the studies and things like that. But some of the behaviors that you observed, uh, and you and I've shared this as well for the last 30 years, things that we've seen in our, in our business uh, experience uh, is pretty funny. If you want to share a couple of those, and then I'll share a couple, and then we can go on to some of the research. It's, yeah, I mean, a general kind of theme is the kind of myth of meritocracy it's that's a good one yeah rarely rarely does that really kind of come through that way it has more to do with who knows who and who likes who and <clears throat> things like that as opposed to really like data driven or performance driven metrics that doesn't really happen no uh, or uh you know they'll talk about integrity and teamwork and family environment and open door policies. And then when it comes to the practice of all those things, it kind of, kind of falls down. Well, and my favorite story, and we were actually working at the same organization at the time. Yes. And I had a boss who we both know. I think he was your boss for a while as well. And I remember him, I was having some problems with the, the team that I was on and, you know, he pulled me aside and was in his office and he said, well, you know, Gerard, you need to be a better team player and then, of course, he qualified it by saying, and I'm not talking about extracurricular activities, Classic. Uh, because at the time I had a, a daughter, a young daughter, and I didn't participate in tomfoolery, happy hours, and parties yep. on the weekends because yeah. I had a family. And then you didn't bring that up, but oddly enough, he had found it necessary to bring that up. So I, 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 thought that, I thought that was always funny. I'm not talking about extracurricular activities when in fact yes you are and so that being a driving which had nothing to do with the teamwork within the yeah. within the business environment it had to do with following up outside of the office which again we yeah, didn't kind of, pick, yeah right so, so yeah the same company uh that you just mentioned um the uh boss of mine actually a two-up boss it approached me and said, uh, I'd been there for a while. Tim, I don't think we're utilizing you enough. Uh, I think you can do more. 
and what you're doing here at the company. We'd like to talk, you know, would you like to talk to us about uh, something along those lines and doing more here at the company? And of course I said, yes, of course, you know, I'm bored at my, my current position. And of course I, I would like to move forward and, and, and get ahead. And this, this really happened. This conversation really happened. And then uh, I went on vacation about two weeks after that, came back from vacation, checked my voicemail and uh, found out that I was laid off. I was uh, let go on voicemail while I was on vacation after I had been told that they wanted to utilize me more. Yeah, I, I don't consider so that definition I'm of sure utilization. How that works, but uh, <laughs> of course, and then when you have an exit interview, and I bring this up, and they pretend like they don't know what I'm talking about. That boss wasn't in the exit interview, of course. So, of course not. Uh, they Conveniently, just, just kind of uh, fumbled all over themselves, and basically were realizing they were just ridiculous. So, but that was the same company. But, yes, and yeah. they, and by the way, they came to you. And they had recognized right. your value because right. they stated it in that, right? And then right. you're so valuable that they waited to tell you while you were on vacation, on vacation right. which is another thing that I find fascinating. Well, well. It's, it's full of integrity and stuff, so yes. and it's really good. Yeah. So some, some of the things that I think we're going to discuss uh, throughout this podcast is we're going to talk about the analysis about high school, the development and how hierarchies are created. Uh, we'll talk about those hierarchies and how they're reflected in the business world. We've talked a little bit about that, some solutions, and then how uh, Dynamic Resolutions Group can help. Um, one of the things that I wanted to talk to uh, first off uh, with this analysis is from this uh, great article I found. It's called Why You Truly Never Leave High School. And Kurt Vonnegut has a quote in there. It says, high school is closer to the core of the American experience than anything else I can think of. And I think that really sums up kind of the impact Right. Uh, on us and our society. I mean, kind of what we're saying. Yeah. How how many people hold high school as like the best time of their life, right? Right. And the ultimate like all American kind of high school experience, which we didn't, which we didn't have. And I think you know my life really started after that. Uh, and you know my best friend, which you are, and we've met in college. My current wife, I met in college, and and. My right. other best friend, I, I met in college as well. So, right uh, to me, post high school. I mean, you know, and I think people that have kind of hit their peak at high school, <laughs> right, that are still wearing their high school jacket or their high school ring. Right. You always, you always wonder about. Right. Well, I just it's kind of sad. I mean, and that's great if you enjoyed. I wish I had enjoyed high school, but I mean, so you're 18, and that's it. I guess that's the. the that's the apex of your life. Well, and they don't. That's and, kind, and, that's yeah. kind of uh, sad or wrong or something in there. I don't know. I, well, I, and they and they don't seem to gravitate or help or support people that don't fit into that mold, right? I mean, we felt alienated immediately. I felt like I didn't even belong. It's like, what are you doing? Right. It's not like teachers. Nope. It's a structure that that reached out to people like you and I. Nope. Uh, right. If you're either in this group or you're not, you said the us versus them. We bucket people into the right. Group these convenient buckets so that we can digest this information and simplify it when in fact it's, it's not a simple thing. It's complex. So, uh, but some of the background here, I want to read this. Something happens when children spend so much time apart from adult company, they start to generate a culture with independent values and priorities. James Coleman, a renowned mid-century sociologist was among the first to analyze that culture in his seminal 1961 work, the adolescent society, and he wasn't very impressed. He said, our society has within it its midst of set of small, 
Teenage Societies, he wrote, which focused teenage interests and attitudes on things far removed from adult responsibilities. So in fact, one of the reasons that high school may produce such peculiar value systems is precisely because the people there have little in common except their ages. These are people in a large box without any clear predetermined way of sorting out status, says Robert Ferris, a sociologist at UC Davis, who spent a lot of time studying high school aggression. So there's no natural connection between them. So such a situation, in his view, is likely to reward aggression. So absent established hierarchies and power structures, uh, kids create them on their own. And what determines those hierarchies is often the crudest common denominator stuff, which we talked about, right? If you're cool, who nice, nice clothes, nice clothes, prowess in sports, popularity, right? right? Rather than the subtleties of personality. And so re remember, says Krosno, who spent a year doing research in a 2200 student high school in Austin, high schools are big. There has to be some way of sorting people socially. It'd be nice if kids could be captured by all their characteristics, but that's not realistic. So right away in high school, we're already creating these hierarchies uh, because uh, it's very simple and easy to do. And you either fit in one or the other, and they already predetermine a lot of times, right? Right. And if you don't fit in there, then all of a sudden you're like, wow, I, I feel isolated or alienated. Right. Yeah, and then if you're not in it's even if you're not in any of them, I mean, it, it, it's worse. I think we would agree that to be not in any of those groups, yes, you're totally alone wolf. You're totally an outsider. Absolutely, it would be better to be in the, you know, in the geek or nerd group yeah. or in the brain group or in the goth group than in just totally not fit with any of them because then you're totally on the outside. Exactly, you have no support group. And then if you're and in a group, a you're at least that you have some identification, so like right. some it, identity, right? Right. Yeah. So, it, you know, you're really left on the outside. Well, and some of the other things, too, about the de kind of development of these behaviors, it turns out that just before adolescence, and, and this is again, my thought process about being a 16-year-old and driving as well, the prefrontal cortex, the part of the brain that governs our ability to reason, grasp abstractions, control impulses, and self-reflect, undergoes a huge flurry of activity giving young adults the intellectual capacity to form an identity, develop the notion of a self. Any cultural stimuli we are exposed to during puberty can, therefore, make more of an impression because we're now perceiving them discernly and metacognitively as things to sweep into our self-concepts or reject. So a lot of times the music that we listen to in high school, we identify with the rest of our lives, and this is why. So during times of when our identity is in transition, says Steinberg, it's possible you store memories better than you do in times of stability. So a lot of times we identify with that, that music or sure. those books or things like that, movies, because that's kind of our time, right? Right. Um, this is also an argument for not getting your driver's license at 16, which we're not going to touch on, but another thing little, that I little side, like. A side thing, yeah. It's basically their, you know, current neuroscience is realizing that the brain doesn't really stop developing until your 20s now. I mean, you're not really yes, mid twenties. Uh, adult brain, you know, until then, let alone sixteen or eighteen or whatever. So, yeah. So this, this here's a good quote. It says, "This explains why adolescents are such notoriously poor models of self-regulation, and why they're so much more dramatic. They're more Kirk than Spock, and I think a lot of us can relate to that, right? Right. Uh, and so, in an adolescence, the brain is also buzzing with more dopamine activity than any other time in the human life cycle. So everything an adolescent does, everything an adolescent feels is just a little bit more intense. And you never get back to that intensity. So I think 
you know, puberty, we've all gone through it. We know what it's like. And I think that's reflected in, in those kinds of behaviors. Right. So if we get into this kind of self-image, this identity that we've talked about and how that's established, I think some of the other things that, that moves into, we see the, the superficial criteria we use and these hierarchies. Some of the three things that, that I think are important to, to uh, state here that start in high school and then are reflected in the business world, which really has, we talked about merit, has very little to do with our merit, right? It's right. height attractiveness and popularity right so if we talk about height it says in 2004 a trio of thank you uh say that quickly yeah yeah exactly discovered based on a sample of thousands of white men in the u.s and britain that it wasn't adult height that seemed to affect their subject wages it was their height at 16 so your height at 16 is going to determine how much money you make in your life so there you go yeah right uh, so you're really good at it, but you're tall. <laughs> so attractiveness, another another great point here. Robert uh, Krosno, who I referenced earlier, he's a sociologist. He shows attractiveness in high school has lingering effects, stating it predicted a greater likelihood of marrying, better earning potential, and better mental health. There you go. So from the study, role of attractiveness and aggression in high school, popularity researchers highlighted many findings on attractiveness, stating highly attractive people are more likely to cooperate, be trusted, expected to be better at most tasks. They are also perceived to be sociable, dominant, sexually warm, whatever that means, mentally healthy, and popular. There you go. It all goes back to just the kind of evolutionary... In progress of humans and yep. we really haven't we're still mostly guided by instinct and emotion and our our higher brain struggles to overcome that and it's so true because it's biologically based because you want to keep the species and procreate right. so those are things right. that you instinctively look for. right and there were reasons i mean there were good evolutionary reasons yes. for these but as we've become a modern society, it, it becomes more of a problem or a hindrance or it's ab- absolutely, especially if you want the best and the brightest. Yeah, if you want, you know, you gotta look beyond that a little bit. Or just yeah, even a little bit would be nice. Just a just a tad, just a, right? A tish. Just a so one of the things that kind of goes right into it, as I said, popularity, the third being. So if you are attractive, you are most likely popular. All right. So the National Bureau of Economic Research distributed studies showing a compelling correlation between high school popularity, and this was measured by how many friendship nominations each kid received from their peers, and future earnings in boys. 35 years later, the authors estimated boys who ranked in the 80th percentile of popularity earned on average 10% more than those in the 20th. Okay? Just because you're popular. Right. So, again, right into kind of what we've been talking about. And uh, which is a, you know, this is a fascinating subject and how you, you, we, we look at ourselves as being an advanced society and then you go into the business world and you're like, oh, so height, attractiveness and popularity is right. determining success. Right. 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 Our technology is advanced. We're still, uh, you know, a hundred thousand year old species. So, you know, we haven't caught up to our technology really. Uh, no, we have not. And, and here's, here's, a, here's another example of this. So from work is like high school and it should make you sad, there is a That's paper good. that was published in the Journal of Human Performance. And researchers concluded that we find 
that unattractive individuals are more likely the subject of rude, uncivil, and even cruel treatment by their coworkers. Now, right. we're talking about adults. Right. And this is happening to people that are considered unattractive in the workplace. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that's another, yeah. and it's just, to me, just fascinating. Right. You're, you know, irrespective of any other quality they might have, just exactly. truly, uh, you know, product, you know, intelligence or productivity or performance, performance, anything. You know, yep. It's going to come down to that. So, so probably our, our, we have seven things that these other ways that I've, that I've listed that are avenues reflected in the business environment. I'm going to list them out and then we'll go through each one um, that kind of resemble high school, right. And business environment. So number one is clicks, which we've talked about. Number two, I call know-it-alls who know nothing, uh, fear and security, uh, decisions made in elevators, power shifts, protective bubbles, drama slash gossip and i think this is probably our favorite i'm going to speak for you here but corporate speak right? a, so we'll get boy, we'll get back one. to that one it's a good one but, but let's just like high school like high school again we talked about the clicks and what it does in the business world it creates this exclusiveness and communication barriers right that you don't get this information spread because you're not in that click right everyone doesn't right. have what they need to have because of that uh the click the us versus them type mentality and part of it, too, it then goes back to my my little story about the extracurricular activities. If you're not in that group, then you're you're excluded and you're even excluded in things that are a matter of business. Right. So it's 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 leads to even even more uh, issues. So you have those clicks and those groups. Um, and then number two, know it alls who know nothing. And I think you and I both can relate to this. You find these people who are so willing to tell you how smart they are and how hard they work and how much work they have. Right. And you're typically the people that are actually the lowest performer. Right. I mean, you've, you and I have experienced this because if you're, if you're more likely to tell someone how smart you are, you're probably not that. Yeah. You don't really need to, you know, you don't need to, if you're really, uh, yeah, any type, if you're really tough, you don't need to be talking about it all the time. Exactly. And I don't think, you know, I don't remember you going around going, hi, I'm Tim Getz. I'm really intelligent. Hey, uh, let me tell you how smart I am. And let me tell you how you're wrong. And ba- oh, and by the way, let me back it up also with very nothing, tall. nothing but my own, uh, my own opinions, by the way, because they're my facts. So my facts, those are my facts. You know, Jimmy, my buddy said I was right. So yeah, so we're in the echo chamber. So. These popular, arrogant, clueless, and usually not that bright. So Welcome to your boss. Congratulations. You're awesome. Number three, fear and insecurity. So I think, again, back into these instincts, you um, have seen and I have seen decisions driven by fear, fear of everything, typically, and everyone, right? So if this person's fearful of this, they're going to do something that might not even be the best interest of the organization, but yet they do it. It usually is not the best interest. They do it because they're spineless, so... It's funny when people are presented with these decisions and you can call them out on it and they still sit there and kind of shake their head and won't even acknowledge the fact that you're bringing up something that actually happened. And right. it's a fact. Right. right. And you know that their decisions and I can't tell you how many times this has happened to me um, having bosses who are fearful of you because they're afraid that you're going to take their job and all you're looking for is help and support. Right. And they should want the best for you. So to make everything, uh, everything better, everything better. And, 
you know, this is the other thing that I think, I guess I would never think would happen. And I had this construct of, in my mind of what, uh, what I thought business was coming from restaurant business. Yeah. What grownups are. Is, yeah. Which happens. is all chaos. Once you're, once you're, I mean, we're almost 50, so yeah, still hasn't happened. So no, no, no we haven't experienced it in the real world, no, right? In the real world. So here's, here's, here's another fascinating thing. So executives that make decisions while discussing issues, like in the elevator, uh, the break room, and, and the restroom. So you'll have two executives after a meeting discuss something. They'll come to some conclusion and decision. They'll actually make this decision. They probably won't even tell any people. And it was done like on a paper napkin or something. Right. It's the real meeting after the meeting. It... And it's the real meeting after the meeting. And there's no rationale. Like they didn't bring in people to get their feedback. And I'm not saying you have to do it all the time. But a lot of times it helps to get this and it was outside of a meeting this happens like all the time right and these decisions a lot of times aren't even remembered like okay i'm going to give you 60 percent, you're going to get 40 percent. it's like well what was the decision made well because it was never discussed in a formal setting right and people are excluded by the way too right uh the the i think you and i both on number five these power shifts and protective bubbles i can tell you for a fact this has actually helped me because i've been in what i call these protective bubbles where my boss had at the time had took care of me, supported me, although the organization didn't follow this criteria that we have laid out. It was the high school principal, right? Right. That they had uh, nothing else was, was standard or merit-based, but you had a boss who understood you, cared about you and took care of you. And if, if that changed, which it often did for us, then all of a sudden that power, shift and that protective bubble boom and now you're out in the open and you're pretty much in trouble right you're you know you're exposed and uh for the wrong reasons for the wrong reasons exactly and you know that's never that is never uh something that i would consider a fun process to go through or experience for sure uh, this one, I don't know if you'll ever get rid of, but, um, it certainly can be minimized drama and gossip, right? Everyone loves drama and you and I, and one of the reasons why I like you so much is that you're not, you, you don't like drama either. You and I both can't stand no, it. We try to avoid but it, but yeah. it's, and it's so wasteful too, right? It's so, it's so wasteful because people are always talking about each other and what this person did and not even business stuff like possible layoffs or mergers. I'm talking about stuff like, oh, did you see what Sally did? She did what? Right. I can't believe this and blah, 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 blah. And then it just spreads like wildfire. And has nothing it, to do with uh, business at hand. It, just it has nothing brains. to do with It's inefficient. It, it's uh, it just, yeah, it, it's all heat, no light. And it's so wasteful. It's just so wasteful. Now, the last one, and I put this last just because I think this is our favorite, the corporate speak, right? It's just so funny, this jargon that people have to use daily in the business. And they're throwing these acronyms around again to look smart. And if you ask them what that acronym is, right. I guarantee you they couldn't answer you. Instead of using plain English to be concise and clear, we don't really want clarity and concise. We don't want that. We don't want it to sound like we do. And it's a lot of them is just euphemisms for you know, difficult sounding words. They, exactly. tend, they have no courage to actually say what they mean. Exactly. And that's a lot. And, and again, it's so funny because you're in there and I guarantee you when someone uses an acronym, just focus on this for a second. And if you asked anyone in that meeting, yeah, speak up and ask them. Everyone's afraid. Everyone assumes that they know it. And then the first person asks them, they're like, oh, 
Yeah, I didn't know that seven. You didn't know what it meant. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and what, and what does it mean? And, and it mean so even, even when you find out what it supposedly means, so what is its point? What what is it actually doing? What what is it showing? What is it measuring? I have no idea. Exactly. And then the and then there's the buzzwords, right? That's what I call the buzzwords, which can fall under corporate speak that sure. you and I love. Yeah. You take some you take some basic concept, you come up with a buzzword, and then you sell a freaking uh, encyclopedia of books, right? right? Chicken soup for the soul, right? You come up right. with some little, like, little gitchy thing that everyone can sell. It's like, oh, it's so great. I'm so motivated from it. It captures everything I feel. It's... And I'm not disparaging it from this point of view. I, typically, there is some business sense to it, but it's taking most of the time very common sense thing, and you're packaging it, right? And you're the first one to package it. And you, you create this buzzword that everyone uses, you know, synergy is a great example. And right, the whole outside the box, which has been done to death. And, exactly. You know, all the and you know someone, someone quoted that once and... in, a, in a conference room, and everyone loved it, and now it just spread. And it's like, oh, let's use this, and let's write a story about it in a book, and then we can make a movie. Yeah, we've actually, I'm sure you have. Too. I've actually seen people like, you know, talk for minutes on end, like 20 minutes, and say absolutely nothing. Yeah, and I was in this meeting once. I was asked to facilitate, and I asked people to to give their opinion. And this woman spoke for ten minutes, and I asked her when she was done, like, what was her point? Because I didn't understand what what she just said. Can you what What did you just say? What is it that you? What is your point? What are you trying? And you could probably have said it in like thirty seconds too. I mean, I appreciate you spending ten minutes of our time. If you had an actual point or a a thing thing you wanted to get across, but yeah, I don't even know if that's the case. So if, if we would. If we would summarize all these things and you put them together and you see this um, from, you know, this high school behavior, these hierarchies, this superficial criteria that's created, you never really leave high school. I mean, you might graduate from high school, but you never really live it. And unfortunately, it is so important in the determination of your success because so much so much of this criteria really has an effect on your career as much as we don't like to admit it. Yep. And, Love it. You can work hard and you can be smart and all those things. Yeah, we get it. But again, don't think that this doesn't hasn't affected you. And it's affected people in different ways. Uh, and us, it's probably more of a sensitive issue uh, than others. But well, we're being honest, yes. and the data and the data proves it. I found multiple articles, not by coincidence, because this is obviously you've heard of Mean Girls, right? This is obviously applicable to to our business world. So right. Any and by the way, any. Any organization, private sector, public sector, whatever, where there ever there's people together in an organization, you know, you'll find this. Unfortunately, yes, you will. And so let's talk. So let's talk a little bit about some solutions and things that you and I both think that could uh, apply. One of the things that you stated really quickly is that meritocracy. I think you know, having a merit-based system that's somewhat objective that people right. are committed to, I think can help, right? As objective as possible. Exactly. As objective as possible. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's holding, it's holding yourself to the same standard that you hold others to. I mean, there's successful organizations that hold leaders to a very high standard and they are supportive and they hold others to this standard, but it's, but it's, it's not, it's not just a segment of that organization. It's everyone, and everyone is held to that same standard, and I think that would help. 
Well, yeah, that would definitely go a long way. I mean, that's what a concept. What are, what else? Do you special have? rules for everybody. Yeah, special rules for everybody, right? And, and we've seen these hierarchies based on whether whether and being in healthcare, you know, physician holding help being held to a different standard than than a nurse or you know another clinician, things like sure, that. Sure. Uh, but what what are some of the other things that you can think of that you think might make an impact in the world if we're given advice to people? Uh, yeah, just uh, kind of lose the the us versus them mentality. I would think would be a start. Yeah, breaking down those barriers and and working together. Um, not pitting people against each other too, which is kind of that us versus them and, and not bucketing and segmenting people. Um, we, we are a society that labels people uh, because it's simplistic, right? We have to label. If you are for one cause, you're this. If you're for another cause, you're this. You know, there's a lot of gray and complexities to this. And I think we need to embrace that more. Definitely. So one of the things I wanted to kind of wrap up with and, Thank you. I can't thank you enough for joining, joining me today. Uh, some of the things I think that I can do through my, through my organization. Yeah. What is the RG? What are your, uh, I mean, I'm, so I think can address these things and some of the things help organizations data, data driven analytics, right? Like looking at data from a process standpoint and looking at where, where those gaps are, where you're not delivering on those things that you promised either internally or ex- externally, if you look at those metrics and customer service metrics, right, we're talking about those customers that are affected through this process. If it's HR internally, every employee is a customer, right? Everyone that is involved in that process is affected by it. So getting them involved and understanding what's working and not working, um, even as a new applicant, you know, and you're, if you come into that organization, and get a fresh new perspective on it. You know, things that I'm good at doing is looking at the, those analytics, determining the root cause, looking at processes, applying something. And this is really important that I, that I want to differentiate is a practical solution. Because if you put something in place that's not practical, people aren't going to use it. Right. If, you know, theoretically, this sounds great, but no one's going to do it. And if you don't put something in practical then it's going to go away in three months because they'd be like, that, that's too hard to do, or you don't realize what I have to do in order to make this happen. So I think a lot of that is, is what is the application that everyone can use that they know they can rely on, that they can do in a way that's going to stay, to stand the test of time. And I yeah. It has to be pragmatic. You know, you have to have some pragmatism, you know, in it. And so a lot of what I do is process focus, analytics, uh, implementing solutions uh, through kind of the Lean Six Sigma tool set. And this is where I think I can help organizations a lot. Um, If you want to check out the website at uh, www.dynamicrg.com and my Twitter handles at drginfo. And uh, I'd like to end uh, thanking you again, Tim. And I'm going to end my podcast with this quote all the time because I think it it's very meaningful. I'm a big fan of Rush, and this is from the song Grand Designs. Uh, states, so much style without substance, so much stuff without style. It's hard to recognize the real thing. It comes along once in a while. So thank you again. Thank you. Anytime. 
I appreciate it. All right, take care. Talk to you. Bye.